I have found it. I have found the single most perfect depiction of liberalism ever. Someday this photo will hang in a museum. The title will be Liberalism, Year 2022, Colorized. The photo is going around the internet right now. It's of a California man charging his electric car with a portable gas-powered electricity generator. It's a depiction of a real thing in a real time and place. California actually cannot sustain its power grid right now because of the state's stupid left-wing energy policies. The only way that it has any hope of making it through is by begging residents to stop using power. But this is also a depiction of a broader concept. The libs upending tradition, overturning society, rejecting reality, only to watch as their crazy schemes, all of which relied on tradition and reality, collapse under their own weight, their own instability. And then to be forced to return to the tried and true old ways, except that they have to return to them in the least efficient ways possible. You especially see this with, uh, you know, religion and kind of traditional morality. That's what all of liberalism rests on. Then they try to get rid of that, and then the edifice falls apart, and then they have to try to reconstruct religion and morality. It doesn't really work. You look at the engine. Gas and diesel-powered car engines have very sophisticated emission control technology. Portable electric generators, generally speaking, do not. They're filthy. The whole thing is, in fact, much worse for the environment than any of the normal cars that normal people drive. Pretty soon, here's, this is an idea I have. Pretty soon, maybe the libs will figure out that the whole thing will move, move more smoothly and efficiently if they just take that portable generator that they've got and, and put it inside the car. And may, maybe they could put it underneath the hood of the car, and then they, could, they can actually take it with them on their drives. And they don't need to stop for an hour to recharge the car at the special port. They can actually just kind of pull over at, a, at like a station, at a station that has gas at it, and then they refill the generators with gasoline, and then that will, will charge their car for the rest of the ride. That is my advice, really high-tech advice to all of our listeners in California. I will not be following that advice myself because I fled that liberal wasteland. And now I live in Tennessee, which despite having much hotter summers, is, believe it or not, able to keep the power grid running just fine. What a difference good government and sane politics can make. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Frank S., who says, if anyone that votes against your party is extremist, then you don't have a two-party system. <laughs> yes, that's true. In our democracy, right, we have two parties. But if you if you vote for the other party, you're evil and a threat to democracy. I don't, I don't think you have a democracy anymore. Then I think when you have one-party rule, and isn't that totalitarian? Something like that. Let's check in on the state of liberalism. We've got portable electricity generators powering the electric cars with, with fossil fuels in California. Uh, what do we think in the White House? What is the state of liberalism right now? from its most prominent spokesman. You know how much, you know how much I'm gonna do with the deficit this year? One trillion five hundred thousand. One trillion five hundred thousand. Rabba-da-do-ba-da-da-ba-da-do. Okay, that's the, that is the state of things. And I think that is probably the most coherent argument that you could possibly give in defense 
of the Biden administration's policies and of liberalism generally. That's it. Thank you, Mr. President, for selling more copies of my national best-selling book, uh, Reasons to Vote for Democrats, A Comprehensive Guide, 260 blank pages. There's really not much of an argument here. The, the, the leader of the free world, allegedly, uh, cannot speak, cannot make an argument for these policies. Other people are doing the talking for him. Here is one of the people who is leading a major initiative for the Biden White House. This would be Joe Biden's new monkeypox czar. This virus transmits through very close skin-to-skin -skin physical contact, often in the setting of sexual exposure. But um, there are other mechanisms for its transmission, including if you touch objects that individuals who've had monkeypox touch, or if, um, if you have prolonged exposure to respiratory droplets. With that said, signaling to people um, who are in the gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men communities, and also transgender people who have sex with men, that it's really important to have awareness that it's circulating in the community is really a critical part of the messaging while not generating um, you know, inordinate concern and really focusing on the infection as linked to an identity. So it's just an infection, it's not linked to identity. It just happens to be in the social network. I think it was easier to understand the rada doo ba da ba da da because I don't have any idea what that guy just said. He said, well, uh, you know, you understand that the, the spread of the virus of the monkeypox is primarily among the gay and the bisexual and the other men have, I'm not, he actually said that, the other men having sex with men community and also the transgender community, but there shouldn't be a stigma associated with that because it's not a virus that has an identity, but it is a virus that spreads among a certain identity. That man's name is uh, Dimitri Daskalakis. He is the new White House monkeypox coordinator. And uh, now that he has been elevated to this role, there is a photo, uh, clearly from a professional photo shoot that this man signed up for. This wasn't some gotcha paparazzi camera. This is something that this man went out, dressed up for, and got these photos taken. And it's of him wearing a kind of slick looking suit with his shirt unbuttoned all the way, wearing a leather harness on his chest that has a pentagram, the, the symbol of Satan, right in the center of it. So we've got a we've got a satanic leather fetishist who is now running the White House monkeypox policy. We've got over at the energy department, we have a leather doggy fetishist who's vaguely transgender, I think. His name is Sam Brinton. And then over at the health department, uh, the assistant secretary of health is a man who thinks that he is a woman named Richard Levine. Uh, who he thinks he's a woman named Rachel Levine, and he believes that we need to put all of the little kids uh, who are sexually confused onto cross-sex cross hormones. This, this all coming to light after Joe Biden gives his red speech where he talks about the battle for the soul of the nation at night in the dark in front of this very ominous looking red light where he calls half the country evil. I'm starting to think Joe Biden might be right. I think we might be in a battle for the soul of the nation. Now, Joe Biden hasn't specified which side he's on <laughs> in that battle for the soul of a nation. But, you know, they say that personnel is policy. And if that is the case, then the, the policy doesn't see, of the Biden administration doesn't seem to be on the good side of that battle, okay? When your prominent senior advisors are openly wearing symbols of Satan and leading, leading human beings around by dog collars and sort of engaging in weird, sadistic, 
sexual exploits and then trying to trans the kids and mutilate their bodies and pump them full of chemicals. I think you might be the baddie. You might be the baddies on the bad side of this. This is a fight for the soul of the nation. And it's not just in the crazy liberal cities and it's not just in Washington, D.C. Tennessee Tech, Tennessee Tech was just caught hosting a, a, a show. This was at their backdoor playhouse. I assume pun very much intended. This was found by Landon Starbuck. It, it was a, a drag show specifically for, you know, for all ages, mocking Christianity. Take a listen. So you see the guy walks out dressed up like a Christian monk. He's dropping dollar bills. Get it, gay men, not amen, but gay men. And then he sings, take me to church. He, he mocks the crucifix. He makes the sign of the cross while he's stripping, doing this kind of drag strip show. Wiggling, jiggling, taking off the habit. And he's also wearing some kind of weird leather thing. I don't know what it is with the leather thing. And then taking money from all of the other very confused people who are in the audience. This is all a reminder that when you really get down to the bottom of what politics is about, it is all about God. I, I use the quote on this show very often from Cardinal Manning that all politics, all human conflict is ultimately theological. And we sometimes forget that. We hear people say, uh, actually, politics is about the battle between liberty and equality. Uh, actually, no, uh, politics is fundamentally the battle between individualism and collectivism. No, actually, politics is the battle between, no, you know what it, it is? It's a little more basic than all of that. Politics is a fight between good and bad. And we've known this going back to ancient Greece, and we've known this going back to all those good old Uncle Aristotle and Socrates and Plato, all the way up through antiquity, through the Middle Ages, in the modern era, because we want to deny the existence of God and the uh, fact that our lives are sustained, their existence itself is sustained by God, we want to deny that and make everything sound really secular and clinical. So we say, no, it's actually about this ideological concept versus this one. No, it's not. It's just about good and bad. And that's why it keeps, it's why it keeps coming down to even our enlightened, modern, atheistic age. It's why it keeps coming down to mocking Christianity. It's why it keeps coming down. It's why, it's why a senior leader in the Biden administration is wearing overt satanic symbols. Okay. It's, it's not just because of some super high level double, triple irony from the atheistic materialistic. No, it's, it's something a little more basic. It's because all of this human conflict is coming down to basic questions of good versus evil. It's a battle for the soul of the nation. Which side are you on? If we want to fix the country, we're going to need to, we're going to need to get our hands dirty. Okay. We're going to need to do some things for ourselves. When you want to, for instance, fix your car, you got to check out Rock Auto. Right now, head on over to rockauto.com. No one likes to spend money on their cars. You buy it, you drive it, you want it to run forever maintenance-free. Is that what happens? No. Unfortunately, that's not the way things work. Cars require upkeep. Now, the good news is you can maintain your car for less, for a lot less, when you shop for auto parts at rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for the pros, the, the mechanics, and the do-it-yourselfers. 
rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they are reliably low. They're not going to change prices based on what the market will bear like the airlines and the marketplace sites do. RockAuto.com has been in the auto parts business for 20 years. It's family owned. Their goal is to make auto parts available and affordable to keep you safe on the road. They not only have the auto parts you need, but they will give you a selection of trusted name brands to choose from. You can get suspension, exhaust, air conditioning, other kits that provide all the parts you need for a successful repair. Head on over right now to RockAuto.com. You can use that super easy to navigate catalog and then type in Knowles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Speaking of clear lines, Whoopi Goldberg is defending Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, after Karine Jean-Pierre got caught in flagrant hypocrisy because she said that anyone who denies elections any of the Republicans who have raised any questions about the 2020 election, they are fascists. That's the definition of fascism. And then Peter Ducey, the White House reporter, points out, he says, wait a second, Karine Jean-Pierre, you said that the 2016 and the 2018 elections were stolen. So are you, by that definition, are you a fascist? And she said, no, 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 it's different. It's different when I do it because I'm a Democrat. Well, Whoopi Goldberg is defending that line of argument. Let's also remember that she was part of moveon.org. She was not an elected official. Right. She was well, she was doing her part as an American citizen saying how she felt about an election, whether you like it or not. Everybody talks about everybody has the right freedom of speech. So that's the difference. Let's discuss, you know, kind of some of the folks that, uh, you know, are in office now who have denied that that. Uh, my Biden, goodness, Biden. Forget that Biden is president. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I get so frustrated because I think this is not apples and oranges. This is apples and basketballs. Yeah. She almost gives up at the end. Did you know when she, when even Whoopi Goldberg realizes, gosh, the argument I'm making just doesn't make any sense at all. Gosh, maybe she pauses. She almost gives up. And then she just kind of uses this throwaway zinger line and tries to move on. This isn't apples and oranges, it's apples and basketballs. How? You, 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 Karine Jean-Pierre and Joe Biden said that any American who questions the 2020 election is a fascist. Then it turned out Karine Jean-Pierre questioned the, 20, the 2016 and 2018 elections. Then Whoopi Goldberg said, no, no, she was a private citizen. Yeah, I know. But Joe Biden and Karine Jean-Pierre said that private citizens, not, it wasn't just Donald Trump, it's Trump's supporters who are private citizens who questioned the 2020 election are fascists. So by that standard, Karine Jean-Pierre and Joe Biden are fascists. It's a stupid definition, but by their own definition, they are fascists. She said, no, no, but it's, it's, it's different because she, they have freedom of speech. Right. Don't the Trump supporters also have freedom of speech? And also we're not talking about whether they have the freedom of speech. We're talking about the substance of their speech. And the, the Biden standard is that they're fascists, but now you're denying them. And you say, no, it's different. It's, and she, when she gets to that point at the end, she's at least being honest. She's being incoherent, but she's being honest. She's saying, look, it's, it's not apples and oranges. It's apples and basketballs. When Republicans and Democrats do the exact same thing, actually, if anything, the Democrats did so more egregiously and, and more uh, consistently, it's apples and basketballs because the Republicans and the Democrats are different, because the Republicans and the Democrats get treated differently, because there are two tiers of justice in America, because there are just one, one group gets to do whatever it wants. The other group can't do the very same thing. 
That's what she's saying. She's admitting the double standard and she's doubling down on the double standard. And she's saying it's a good thing. How are Republicans responding to these kind of blatant, shameless attacks? Here's how. The RNC yesterday released an ad. They've got Joe Biden now. You've got the worst economy in recent history. You've got 40-year high inflation. You've got the first major war in Europe. You've got record high numbers of foreign nationals pouring across the border. You've got crime spiking throughout the cities. You've got the average American life expectancy decreasing. You've got the country is in absolute shambles. And here's how they nailed Joe Biden. They say that he's, he wasn't as much of a civil rights leader as he said he was. When I marched in the civil rights movement, I did not march with a 12-point program. I marched with tens of thousands of others to change attitudes, and we changed attitudes. He lied to voters, according to the New York Times, uh, quoting aides of, of Biden's, about having marched in the civil rights movement. I got involved in the civil rights movement. I got involved in desegregated movie theaters. They organized voter registration drives. From the time I got involved as a high school kid in the civil rights movement. But I was a kid involved in the civil rights movement, desegregating restaurants and movie theaters in my state. From the time I got involved, I was a kid in the civil rights movement. Quote, more than once, advisors had gently reminded Mr. Biden of the problem with this formulation. He had not actually marched during the civil rights movement. And more than once, Mr. Biden assured them that he understood and kept telling the story anyway. That is really, really weird. I have one question. Who is this ad going to convince? Who is this ad supposed to persuade? What is this ad supposed to do? The point of the ad is Joe Biden is a liar, which we've known. First of all, most politicians are liars. And we've, we've, we've known that about Joe Biden since he had to drop out of the 1988 presidential contest for lying. So, okay, Joe Biden's a liar. So what? Is this, this is supposed to appeal to the Democrats who who support Biden only because they thought he was more of a civil rights leader than he is, that this is supposed to convince the Republicans who, who, what's the point of the, the point of the ad, this is the point of the ad, is the same stupid line that Republicans trot out and they think it's going to work and they think it's clever and it never works. The Democrats you see are the real racists. You see the Democrats, they call us racists. But they're the real racists. And they pretend to have a really good record on race. But they actually don't have a really good record on race. See? See? Did we win any votes from that? Because we never have before ever. But they're the real racists. The Democrats who use this term racism, they've redefined this term. They've, they've made this the worst thing that you can possibly be called in America as a racist. And they just use it indiscriminately against Republicans with absolutely no basis in any of the Republicans' actions. They just use it. And it frames the whole argument. And now the best that the Republicans muster is, no, you are. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. Yes, the Democrats are the real racists. They know that. There was a, a, a Senate candidate, a Democrat in, I think, South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, Christy Matthews. She just caught, got caught on camera with Project Veritas, uh, explaining to what she thought was a sort of private person in a private conversation that uh, everyone needs to treat white people like SHIT. My district is heavily Republican and it's heavily white. Wow. I'm not a stranger to white people. I'm from a mostly white town. Yeah. And let me tell you one thing. You got to know who you're dealing with. Like, yeah. you, you got to treat them like shit. 
Treat those white people like S-H-I-T. What's the takeaway here? Here's what the takeaway is not. This is the one thing that the takeaway is not. The takeaway is not, golly, could you imagine if it were a white person saying this about a black person? Golly, could you imagine if the roles were reversed? Gosh, what would the media be saying then? It's so hypocritical. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, they know that. (laughs) They know. Wow. They know. They don't care. That's the point. That's the point. That's my, my takeaway is not, could you imagine if? No. My takeaway here is not that we need to point out the hypocrisy constantly. That's going to fall on deaf ears. It's not going to persuade anybody. The takeaway is we need to change the game entirely. The game of who is the bigger racist is a losing game because the whole thing was established through a Democrat lens. There's no way to win it. They have just defined racism as anything Republicans do (laughs) and not anything that Democrats do, okay? The the key here for Republicans and independents and normal people is just don't take the bait. When they call you a racist, just say, okay, all right, whatever. Whatever. When a liberal calls you a racist, you know you've won the argument. That was was a line when I was a student. I got to meet Ann Coulter. She came to my college. And that line really stuck with me. She mentioned that. She said, when a liberal, because we were all complaining, we said, the liberals on campus, they're calling us racists, but we're not racists. We're good people. She said, don't, come on. Don't worry about that. When a liberal calls you a racist, you know you've won the argument. Just move on. Don't give it any air. Say, okay, whatever. There there they go again. That's the Ronald Reagan line about Jimmy Carter. Okay, there they go again. Everything's racist. Okay, move on. Let's talk about the economy. Let's talk about illegal immigration. Let's talk about them transing the kids. Let's talk about the satanic leather daddy in the White House right now. Let's talk about the fight for the soul of our nation. You can go babble about about racism or or whatever Joe Biden said. That's fine. None of that means anything. We're going to talk about stuff that matters. And we're going to look good when we do it, especially if we're wearing Mizzen and Maine. Right now, go to MizzenandMaine.com. Use promo code at Knowles. You've got to check these guys out. Mizzen and Maine. It's the inventors of the performance fabric dress shirt. Mizzen and Maine combines the comfort and flexibility of your favorite athletic wear with the fit and style of a custom dress shirt. I love it. I love, I wear Oxford shirts all the time. I pretty much never go outside without a collar on. And yet, being of Sicilian descent, you know, we perspire a little bit. Well, Mizzen and Maine figured it out. They've got the best of all worlds, lightweight, breathable, moisture wicking. These will have you looking great. And their, their dress shirts are machine washable. So you can skip those trips to the dry cleaner. Think of all the time and the money you will save. These guys were the first to use performance fabrics in men's workwear. 10 years later, they are still the best. By the way, it's not just dress shirts. They've got wonderful, comfortable flannels. They've got great polo shirts. Uh, they're just absolutely fabulous. Mizzen and Maine just turned 10, so they've got great deals running on their site all summer long. Right now, if you go to mizzenandmaine.com, use promo code Knowles, you will receive $35 off any regular price order of $125 or more. That is $35 off when you go to M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N. 
Knowles.com. Use promo code Knowles. Speaking of racial identity politics, big headline here in the Washington Post, a big cause of celebration among the libs. There's a new conservative prime minister in the UK. And when I say conservative, the, the Tories, the UK conservatives are, they're really more like American Democrats. And then the left in the UK is much further left even than we're seeing in the mainstream in America right now. So the conservative party has just elected this lady, Liz Truss. And here's the headline. Liz Truss's cabinet is the UK's first without a white man in any of the top offices. And my reaction to that, all the libs are saying, this is great. This is wonderful. This is such a big win for justice and equality and diversity. And, and my f- reaction was, that's kind of weird, isn't it? It's because England, England is a country of the English. And the English are definitely very white. They are, they are some of the whitest people on earth. And so isn't it kind of weird? And men, you know, you, generally speaking, usually are involved in politics. Uh, historically speaking, men are most of the people involved in politics. So it's just kind of weird that in England, a country of extremely white people, you wouldn't have even a single white guy in any of the big government positions. Isn't that kind of, I'm not saying it's necessarily the worst thing in the world. I'm just saying, isn't that, it's weird. It's not the sort of thing that I, certainly not something I would celebrate. The, the only reason you would celebrate this is if you think white men are bad, which is what the culture says right now. The culture said, when it comes right down to it, beyond all the really super clever arguments that we all try to make and beyond all the Dems are the real racists and all that stuff, there, there is a sense in the culture that, that white people broadly, white men in particular, but white people broadly, are just bad. And white people are the only group that you are, it is socially acceptable to insult or discriminate against, that you can legally discriminate against. Asians sometimes bear the brunt of it too in, in university admissions. But white people, you can discriminate against them through affirmative action. And just in the culture, it's the only racial group that you're allowed to mock and actually encouraged to mock. I think that seems kind of wrong, doesn't it? And there's, there's nothing that the white people can do about it because it, it has nothing to do with the actions that the white people take. The culture has just said white people are bad. A great example of this is when white people move neighborhoods. When white people move into a black neighborhood, that is bad because that's gentrification. But when white people move out of a black neighborhood, that is also bad <laughs> because that's white flight. So there is nothing the white people can do that would not be bad. And that's because the goodness or badness of it has nothing to do with the actions. It has nothing to do with which neighborhoods you move to or from. It it just has to do with the white people doing it. Because the white people are doing it, according to the culture, it has to be bad because the white people are bad. You see this when, if white people adopt some aspect of another culture, let's say they, they, I don't know, they eat tacos or something. They wear certain aspects of clothing. Uh, that is bad because that's cultural appropriation. They're not allowed to do that. <laughs> but, but if white people don't adopt aspects of other people's cultures, that is also bad. That's called cultural erasure. That's called Eurocentric 
you know, cultural chauvinism or something. And they, that's bad too. Why is it bad? Because it has nothing to do with the tacos and it has nothing to do with the clothing. It has everything to do with white people doing it. Whatever the white people do is defined as bad. This is what you're seeing reflected right now in the Democrats and the Republicans on the issues of so-called election denial or political violence. When the Democrats deny many elections, going back at least 22 years now to the 2000 presidential election, and increasing in recent years, 2016, Hillary hasn't really conceded that race. She still says that it was a stolen election. Stacey Abrams hasn't, hasn't really conceded at all the 2018 Georgia gubernatorial race. She still says it was a stolen election. Well, it doesn't matter. That's fine. That's good. When, when the left burns the country down for eight months with BLM and Antifa, that's fine. that political violence is fine. It's not even violence. It's mostly peaceful. But when any Republican suggests that, hey, maybe it's a little weird that they changed all the election rules radically, unlike anything we've ever seen right before the 2020 presidential election, maybe that's a little weird. Maybe that raises questions. When some grandmas from the, from the Midwest show up to the Capitol Rotunda and in many cases are let in by police on January 6th, that's considered the worst violent insurrection in American history. That was almost a coup d'etat. Why? It has nothing to do with questioning elections. It has nothing to do with even political violence. It has everything to do with who does it. When the Democrats do anything, it's good. When the Republicans do anything, it's bad. Democrats could, I was trying to think of an example, you know, that would be really egregious, that were hypothetical, but I'll use a real one. Democrats could could wear satanic symbols in, in leather harnesses in their professional headshots, that would be considered good. A Republican could help a little old lady cross the street. That would be considered an act of evil because of who they are. So what's the takeaway from that? You've got to tune out the noise. You know, there are a, a number of Republicans who are very eager to hand it to the liberals to grant certain premises. Well, you know, actually the Democrats have a point when they say that the horn hat guy got a little out of control. Actually, you know, Trump shouldn't have used this certain kind of rhetoric. No, they don't. They don't have a point. You don't have to hand it to them, actually. The whole argument is disingenuous. No, no one on the Democrat side cares about racism. None of them care about political violence. None of them care about questioning elections. They just want to beat you. They just don't want you to do anything that will give you an advantage. You do not have to take any of that stuff seriously. You want to, you want to see a great example of this? Also from the Washington Post, Pravda on the Potomac. Washington Post now has an exclusive article on, on what kind of material was seized at Donald Trump's home. Because going back 50 years now, the Washington Post always gets the leaks out of the intelligence community. And so the Washington Post is reporting. They said, you, you MAGA Republicans, you all said that Trump didn't have any dangerous material at Mar-a-Lago, that it could, you know, there was dangerous for him to have. It was not secure. It could have gotten into the wrong hands. Well, we now know that material on foreign nations' nuclear capabilities was seized at Mar-a-Lago. Some seized documents were so closely held, only the president a cabinet level or near cabinet level official could authorize others to know. And by the way, it's kind of funny that they have that as the subheadline there because it undercuts their whole argument because Donald Trump was the president. He did have ultimate declassification authority. And so it's, it is just simply an absurdity to claim 
that a president or former president for that matter mishandled classified information. It is not possible for a president or ex-president to mishandle classified information. The very fact that he has been the president precludes that. But furthermore, the, the whole article is a cell phone because the, the insinuation here is that it was really irresponsible, maybe illegal, but certainly irresponsible for Trump to have this material at Mar-a-Lago because he had it there. By golly, it was so unsecure, it could have leaked to the press. Oh, oh, wait, hold on. So it, when the material was in, in Trump's home with the padlock on the door, no one heard about it. But, but then the minute that the FBI took it, that's when it all leaked. Sounds like we should send all the classified information to Mar-a-Lago. Sounds like it's way safer there than it is in the hands of the FBI. But furthermore, we're, we're being told now that this, this material at Mar-a-Lago, it was so, so hyper, super duper sensitive. No one should be able to even know that it exists. And that's why we're going to publish a whole article in the Washington Post about it. Now, in fairness, very few people read the Washington Post anymore. I only read it to make fun of it sometimes. So it's true. I guess it's probably safe being printed in the Washington Post because no one subscribes. But doesn't that undercut the, if this is so super duper sensitive and Trump is such a, a terrible person for, for endangering it, you know, and, and, and risking its release, uh, shouldn't we not be publishing it in newspapers? Seems, it's just all seems so disingenuous to me. Speaking of which, speaking of regime, <laughs> propaganda, media, we have in GQ just a delightfully absurd profile of AOC. Uh, who they're trying to set up to be a future presidential candidate. Here, here are just some highlights from it. She says, people ask me questions about the future. And realistically, I can't even tell you if I'm going to be alive in September. And that weighs very he heavily on me. And it's not just the right wing. Misogyny transcends political ideology, left, right, center. This grip of patriarchy affects all of us, not just women, men, as I mentioned before, but also ideologically, there's an extraordinary lack of self-awareness in so many places. And that, that might be the truest thing she's ever said. There is an extraordinary lack of self-awareness. I'm pleased to report what day is it. It's September 8th. We are now more than a week into September. Uh, AOC has survived. She is alive. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you could make it, AOC. What did she even mean by that? I don't even know if I'll be alive. It's like when she said, I was afraid I was going to be raped and murdered on January 6th. Meanwhile, she wasn't even in the same building. She was down the street <laughs> from, from where the, the very scary Midwestern grandmothers were, where the Florida dad sipping a Coors Light in the rotunda. Gosh, golly, could you imagine? There is an extraordinary lack of self-awareness. There is an extraordinary lack of self-awareness, but it doesn't seem to harm her. Actually, later on in the profile, GQ asks her outright, do you think that you can be president? And, and the fear that AOC has, the, the little hesitation that she has to be president is the scariest thing of all. Now, while radical gender ideologues decry the harms of single-sex bathrooms and comedy specials and dead-named celebrities, also known as just named celebrities, kids are the ones suffering. Recently, the FDA issued a warning that prescribed puberty blockers, the ones that transgender activists claim are harmless and reversible, can actually cause vision loss and brain swelling and all the things that we all knew intuitively. The experimentation on children has got to end. To fight back, we need to expose and defend the truth, just as my pal Matt Walsh has done in his breakout documentary, What is a Woman? 
With over 5,000 audience ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, What is a Woman is pushing back against the left's dangerous narratives. Help us keep the momentum up by watching and sharing the film at whatisawoman.com. That is whatisawoman.com. Head on over there today. In this AOC profile in GQ, she was asked, are you going to run for president? Do you think you could be president? She says, yeah, maybe, but here's her holdup. She says, could Obama have gotten elected without the kind of financial support that he had? She she opposes Wall Street. Maybe that'll hold her up. Then she goes further. She goes, I don't know. They say, even if she theoretically were to become president, then what? She'd face a system from the Senate to the Supreme Court, both empowered and inclined to thwart her most sweeping ambitions. There are still plenty of limitations, she said, playing out that hypothetical. It's tough. It's really tough. So what's tough? She's saying there are all these limitations, all these impediments, but she's not just talking about corruption. She's not just talking about popularity. She's not just talking about the big banks and the entrenched interests. The the big impediment to her sweeping presidential plans that, that they are describing is our system of government. <laughs> They're saying that the separation of powers and system of checks and balances is the big impediment. It's tough. It's really tough. I've got to deal with a court. I have to listen to the legislature. I'll have to follow the constitution. And that might impede me from doing what I want to do. What do they want to do? They want to upend the country. The country to them is bad. That's their starting point. It's not that they researched the history of slavery and they discovered America's bad. But by that model, every country in the world is bad. And by the measure of slavery, America is the least bad country ever. It's not that they looked at the interactions between the European settlers and the Native Americans and determined, therefore, that America's bad. It's not that they, no, they started with the premise that America is bad. Okay, and then they formulate arguments, usually specious arguments, to back up that argument. But it's, it begins with an antipathy for the country which they want to upend. They want to upend it fundamentally. That's when Barack Obama said, we're, we're about to fundamentally transform America. He is expressing a hatred for the country because you don't want to fundamentally transform things that you love. When, when AOC says, the, the reason I might not run for president is I'd have to deal with that awful constitution and I'm not sure I'd be capable of upending the whole system of government, that expresses a hatred for the country and the form of politics that we have here. Her problem is America <laughs> and she needs to overcome America to follow her, to, to achieve her political ambitions. Speaking of the judiciary, putting good constraints on demagogues. There's a great ruling just came out of a U.S. District Court. U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor in Texas has just ruled that a new rule requiring employers to provide coverage for uh, drugs that are called PrEP drugs uh, violates the religious rights of employers under federal law, under the the, uh, RIFRA rule, the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act. This was totally the correct decision. Why was it a correct decision though? Because PrEP drugs are drugs that are taken pretty much exclusively by promiscuous homosexual men to prevent them from contracting AIDS. The point of the PrEP drugs, they're they're apparently very effective drugs, is if you take them before you engage in risky activities, you are are at a greatly, greatly reduced chance of contracting AIDS, like 99% reduced chance of contracting AIDS. So then the question is, who, who is at risk of contracting AIDS? And the answer to that is 
overwhelmingly. I'm going to use the, the most conservative numbers possible here. Two-thirds to three-quarters of the people who get AIDS are gay men. That's, that's where the spread is. And then you've also got intravenous drug users. And then you've got, and then you've also got people who, who unwittingly have sex with gay men. And you've got, and, and it's not just gay men. It's not men that just identify as gay. It's, it, well, it's gay men, but it's men who might say, no, I'm not a gay man. I'm, as that monkeypox coordinator was saying earlier, I'm just a member of the men who have sex with other men community which is somehow different than the gay community or the bisexual community or the whatever, but it's all, it's all kind of the same stuff. That's, that's how you get AIDS. Okay. And so the, the question is, the question is not, should gay guys take this drug? It seems like if you're going to engage in these activities, this is probably going to help prevent you from contracting this virus that spreads almost uniquely among, among people who have sex with, among men who have sex with other men. The question is, should employers be required to pay for this drug? Should, let's say, uh, I don't know, a Catholic school. Should a Catholic school be required to pay for a drug, the purpose of which is to make it easier for men to have sex with lots of other men? Because by the way, don't forget, we're not even just talking about men who have sex with one other man that they know where neither of them have HIV, and then they go get frisky, they do their thing, they go do whatever they're going to do. They're not, they are at a 0% risk of contracting HIV. Unless they're also reusing heroin needles on the side, they are at a exactly 0% risk of, of catching HIV. The risk is only when you are having sex with other men whose HIV status you don't know, Maybe you're having sex with strange men. Maybe you're having sex with lots of other men. Maybe you're mixing in some intravenous drug use on the side and you're not washing your needles. Whatever it is, you're talking about very, very risky behaviors. Is it right to force an employer who maybe objects to that sort of thing on moral grounds, like every major religion ever, to to pay for that? And no, obviously that's a violation of people's religious conscience. Obviously, this is the right decision. And it was amazing. When I, when I made this point yesterday, I mean, I made a similar point on monkeypox, which is that monkeypox spreads among gay guys who have sex with lots of other gay guys. That's, that's pretty much the only group that it spreads among. We're talking about 95% plus of the transmission of monkeypox is among promiscuous homosexual men. And you're not allowed to say that. They say that if you say that, it's homophobic. But then they also say that if you don't want to subsidize all the drugs for monkeypox, for example, that you're also being homophobic. But hold on. I was just told that monkeypox is not specifically a gay thing. Well, no, Michael, it's not specifically a gay thing. Okay, then we're not going to subsidize the drugs. Well, if you don't subsidize the drugs, that's homophobic. Well, it's only homophobic if it's a gay thing. You can't have it both ways. But they want to have it both ways. They, what they really want, what the libs really want, is just for you to shut up. That's what it's about. Shut up. Take it. Don't object to anything because we now have we now have a new kind of animating principle for the country. And they view the Religious Freedom Restoration Act as absurd and illegitimate and wrong. And they view Christianity as absurd and illegitimate and wrong. And they wear actual satanic symbols in leather harnesses from the highest echelons of government from the White House, okay? The, pe- the people who wear the satanic leather symbols are the people running the show. And to pretend that that has nothing to do with Christianity, to pretend that that has nothing to do with religious rights is absurd. 
And it was a lot easier for the libs to make that argument and just to pretend that there was a kind of secular neutral ground where, no, come on, just get your religion out of here. It was a lot easier to do that before they became so overt, before senior government officials were leading men around by collars, men dressed up as little dogs that they were going to abuse in sort of sadistic sexual rituals and wearing pentagrams and giving fiery speeches, calling half the country evil in front of, in front of what looks like the gates of hell, <laughs> in front of very dark backdrops with deep red lights where you talk about the battle for the soul of the nation. All right, we're going to have a battle for the soul of the nation. Let's do it, man. Let's talk about the soul. Let's talk about morality. We have to do it. That's what they want. It's amazing. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear this from the libs all the time. They will say, why are you Republicans so obsessed with other people's sex lives, their private sex lives? They say, okay, how did this really play out? Because the way I saw it, I was just kind of going about living my life, you know, having, having a nice life and everything. And then the libs come in and they say, hey, hey, we're going to put uh, gay porn in your kids' schools, which they actually have done. It's a book called Gender Queer, and it's gay pornography. We're going to put it in your kids' schools for very, very young kids often, by the way. We're going to, um, we're going to put your really little kids, like five-year-olds to eight-year-olds, uh, in a transgender indoctrination classroom and, and maybe even put them on puberty blockers and not even tell you about it in some cases. We're going to have drag shows at the public libraries. Uh, we're going to uh, radically redefine marriage. Uh, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Does that sound good? And then the, the conservatives and the kind of normal people, they'll say, um, n- no, could we maybe not, maybe not do that? And then the libs say, why are you so obsessed with sex? <laughs> why are you so obsessed? Well, I'm not. You're just, you're forcing all of this on me all the time <laughs> and on my kids and in public and the pride parades with probably the monkeypox secretary dancing in the weird leather on the, in the middle of the street. And I just think maybe, maybe we chill with that a little bit. Why are you so obsessed? Uh, we're not. We're not. We're not. But that's what the, that's what the battle is coming down to. The uh, Indiana Supreme Court, for instance, right before I get to the member block, we got a great interview today on show business and uh, all, sorts of, all sorts of spiritual and cultural matters. Uh, the Indiana Supreme Court just upheld the firing of a teacher at a Catholic school over uh, his participation in same-sex marriage. Obviously, Catholic Church does not uh, recognize any such ontological category as same-sex marriage and has a, you know, pretty traditional view of uh, sexual ethics. And so the school says, okay, look, nothing against you, pal. You know, I'm sure you're a nice enough guy. Uh, but look at our school. Uh, we have a, a view of things. We have a Christian e- ethos and worldview. And uh, so we need our teachers to, you know, we're teaching our kids to be raised in that. That's the point of this education. And so you got to get along with that. And if you don't want to get along with that, that's fine. Go teach at another school. There's plenty of teaching jobs, but you can't teach here. And the libs forced the issue. Well, fortunately for now, the Indiana Supreme Court upheld the right of the Catholic school to be Catholic. But for how much longer? I don't know. Because the libs don't want to just live and let live and let the Catholic schools do the Catholic school thing and let the Satanist schools do the Satanist school thing. That's not what they want. And that's probably not possible anyway. They want a standard and they want it to be their standard. They want it to be their side in the battle for the soul of of the nation. And their side is not the good side. They are the baddies. The rest of the show is continuing now. If you don't want to miss it, which obviously you don't, then you got to become a member, okay? The main show is for the hoi polloi. I love you, you hoi polloi, but when you want to get the extra special exclusive stuff, 
where we can speak a little more freely, okay? You got to come on over to the member block. We will have Meg Basham here to discuss Olivia Wilde's claim. This uh, Olivia Wilde, director of some new stupid movie. Don't worry, darling. Uh, her, her claim that Jordan Peterson is an evil villain. Jordan Peterson, my friend and colleague, is the villain in this movie. Uh, we will discuss how that is possible, how a polite, soft-spoken Canadian professor in a three-piece suit could become the, the most vilified man in the world. So go join us over there. We'll see you at the member block.